Howdy. Glad you are here on the way into our sanctuary. You should have been handed the notes. And if you want to grab those, uh, in just a second, we will jump into the message. While you do that, let me welcome all of our campuses in Lakewood, Castle Rock, Highlands Ranch, and of course, uh, Lone Tree, and then all those that are uh, streaming us right now. We want to welcome you and tell you how much we appreciate you being a part of the great JFC family. Uh, Two quick um, uh, sort of housekeeping notes that I want to make you aware of. We have uh, talked in the last little while about the desire for our church to reach new levels of community and to um, be connected in ways that we haven't uh, in the past. And so one of the things that Pastor Terry and I uh, have come up with, and we're all participating in this, the pastors are, all of our campuses together, we're doing uh, small groups that are going to last for uh, the length of our Obey series. They're going to start actually next week, and uh, they'll be directive of what we talked about over the weekend. So what we'd like you to do, uh, we've got the leaders for there. There's over 70 groups that we're offering that will meet at different times during the week. We'd like to encourage you to take a moment and become a little more involved. Now, folks, we can have the desire for uh, community and for relationship, but if you don't, how many of you know it breaks down right there at that level? So we're going to throw this out to you. that we'd like, we're, not, we're not trying to put something on you that we felt like was uh, overwhelming or a commitment without end. It literally is. Uh, it'll be a five-week time period where you'll meet together. Here's what you would do. If you're interested in going deeper, if you're interested in helping achieve the goal of community, at our Connect, Grow, Serve table in all of our foyers when our service is over. Go there. The opportunity to find out when the groups meet, to sign up, any information you need will be right there. And then uh, this other thing, we are going to take a shot at seeing if we can pull off an Israel trip for 2014. Normally we go every other year. We went in 2013 and um, we, we found it's a little, uh, a little easier for folks if we do it every other year. But going every other year has turned into where we're taking um, 90 people, 100 people at a time. And the coordination of that, you can imagine, moving that many people around, is, is, it's, it's quite an effort. So we've had a lot of people ask, what about going uh, on the in-between years and seeing if it would cut down on just the amount that we take? So we're going to see whether or not that would work. So a, um, uh, on the 9th, February the 9th, uh, which is a Sunday, here at the Lone Tree Campus, 5 o'clock. If you're interested in information about going to Israel, the trip would be September 5th through the 14th, 2014. If you would like more information, the agenda, how much it costs, how we break that down, and uh, all the different questions that you could ask at that time, uh, be at that meeting right there. And if we have a minimum of 40 people that want to go, we can pull the trip off. That's what it would take in order to make it an affordable situation uh, for a group. We're going to be approximately at the same uh, price point that we were last year. But I'll talk more about that. If you'd like to be there, that'll be on the 9th, 5 o'clock here at uh, the Lone Tree Campus. All right. Our new series is called Obey. And uh, if you'll find the intro point, I want to welcome uh, all JFC to our new series on Obey. Here is the thought, and let me make it real clear. Um, it, it's uh, it, it, in, in the purpose of the entire thing, if I were to sum it up in a sentence, what we're trying to achieve over the next several weeks, what the series is going to be about, it's being healthy and whole in mind, spirit, and body. 
healthy and whole in mind, spirit, and body. Now, uh, I felt the need to, to divide real quickly an idea or a thought here that may be out there. So, Pastor, is this going to deal with like um, bringing a lot of different philosophies together, Eastern and, and mysticism and things from Christianity and Kabbalah and things like that? And you're going to put, if you know me, you know what a mistake that would be. I wouldn't do that in a second. This is biblical in its nature all the way through. So I thought probably the place to, um, to start out would be to, to show you biblically that the Bible does divide up a person into uh, these three parts right here. So 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 16, the second part of the verse, the first part begins um, that no one knows the mind of God. And then the second part says, but we have the, what's the word? Mind. The mind of Christ. So right away, we have the distinction that a person does have a mind. Now, I know some of you are like, well, you don't see who I married, so you're not quite sure about that. But, <laughs> oh my goodness. All right. Well, I, I, uh, I thought that was, let me just strike that off my note. Okay. Um, let, me, let me give you the second one. Matthew 26, verse 41. Second part of that verse, this is Jesus, and he's talking to the disciples and brings these two points out very clearly. The spirit is willing, but the, some translation may say flesh, but from the NIV, the exact translation is body. So here he teaches, the spirit is willing, but the body is weak. He's talking about, in particular, the disciples praying for him when he's in a position of uh, great turmoil in his life, and he just points out to them that the spirit is willing to do something but the body may not be willing to do something. So just in those two verses, we automatically find that it is totally scriptural to point out that a person is made up of the three parts, mind, spirit, and body. So this is not some Eastern philosophy of trying to bring some harmonious balance of the cosmos in us. It is just simply the way that God created us, mind, spirit, and body. Now, I put it the transition. Here's where I would try to take you into today and to teach a little bit. Let me talk about the benefit of balance. The benefit of balance. How many of you own a car? How many of you like your car? I mean, it's sort of like, uh, yeah. I, listen, I, I, um, uh, our, our, our car situation through uh, the better part of our lives, we had five children. So imagine right now what kind of cars we had as we're raising our children. We didn't have little tiny Hondas or little smart cars, mostly minivans. And in fact, the first time that I was ever exposed to, to the uh, truth that I was uncool was when I was trying to point out to one of the pastors, Jonathan Murley, our missions pastor. He, um, he was actually in my youth group when I was a youth pastor years and years and years ago. And the very first minivan that I bought, it already had a hundred some odd thousand miles on it, but it was one of those Chryslers that had the fake wood paneling. How many of you remember those vans right there? You remember how ugly that thing was? Well, now it was ugly, but at the time, I was absolutely just like, look at how beautiful this is. And I remember taking Jonathan, he was only about 18 years old at the time, maybe 19 years old. I took him outside and I said, John, look, I just had my twins. So this goes back 21 years. I, I went out and I pointed to him, look at how cool this minivan looks. And I remember him looking at the minivan and looking at me, and you ever just get that picture that he's not looking at you with any kind of envy whatsoever? <laughs> he's like, you poor sucker, look what's happened to you. And he's like, John, you really think that this, this fake wood grain on a minivan is cool? 
And I remember looking at it and it just sort of dawning on me that that part of my life had passed and was never coming back uh, again. So, so all, all of the cars we basically had were, were bigger cars and because of that, the tires were bigger on them and so the tires were never cheap. And I remember at one point we had a Suburban and uh, I had gone and bought tires for it and each tire was like 200 bucks a piece. They were not cheap, maybe a little more like 225 or something like that, 230. And I had put nice tires on it because uh, Chris primarily used that car and the kids were in that car. And so I, I had bought the very best tires that I could afford to put on it. And I remember the guy telling me, you need to have these rotated about every 15,000 miles. He said, to get the maximum tread life out of it, you need to have it done every 15,000 miles. Well, as time goes and as circumstances, situation goes, uh, I I think probably 45,000 miles had gone by. And I remember Chris telling me one day, I hadn't driven her car for a while, and she said, hey, the steering wheel is shaking. The steering wheel is shaking. So I remember going out and taking a car on the block, and sure enough, that steering wheel was just, and the faster you went, the more it shook. So I get out, I'm trying, like, what is wrong with this, this car? And I look at the tires, and on the front of the tires, instead of being round, they were almost square when you looked at them from the side. And it had worn flat spots in the side of the tires. Why did this happen? We did not keep the tires rotated and balanced. So I, as a good husband, I'm quick to point out No other husband's ever done that. (laughs) I was quick to point out, hey, uh, why didn't you tell me? She said, well, when I heard the noise, I just turned the radio up a little louder. (laughs) Now, so we laugh about that, we joke about that, but let me throw this out to you. I wonder in reality if life doesn't work that way sometimes into the fact that when we don't live our lives in balance, we begin to develop a wear pattern. Uh, So so let let me throw it out, maybe it's stress. And the wear pattern develops that you're not sleeping right. Or maybe the wear pattern is that um, you, you get to the point where it causes uh, the heart to be under pressure or your blood pressure to rise. These are all warning signs. And is it not possible that many times, rather than doing the right thing and checking it out and having a balance, we just turn the volume up on what we're doing? We live life a little faster. We just get a little busier or we tell ourselves this, I will take care of this, fill in the blank. And it's usually like this, tell me that this is not how it, it, I tend to live this way, I'll take care of it after I get past this busy place in my life. And here's the truth, you never get past the busy place, do you? There's always just one other thing waiting. And so when do we deal with it? We deal with it once it gets to a crisis point in our life and it's like, okay, now it's gonna cost something major in order to, we're gonna have a blowout if we don't fix this now. And I remember trying to take it back. (laughs) Here was mine. I took it back to Costco and told the guys, these are defective tires. (laughs) And the guy was like, no, you, you didn't have them rotated like you should. You didn't balance your tires like you should. And of course, it goes back and forth a little bit. Bottom line, you spend another $230 to replace the tires. Way premature of what you should have done. Way before it gets expensive when you don't pay attention to things that you should fix. And I wonder how many times in life we live our lives that way. Physically, spiritually, emotionally. 
There are warning signs. There are wear patterns. There are tendencies to where it gets pointed out to us, but rather than do something about it, we just live at a higher velocity or with the thought, how about this? If you're a believer, many times I think here's the mistake that believers make. We ask for miracles. God put tread back on it. God, make this go away. God, fix this. So how about this? God is a miracle-working God, but here's just a thought. You should not live your life needing a miracle every day. You should not live your life needing... I'm not saying that we shouldn't live for miraculous things, but we shouldn't be praying every day, God, bail me out of this. How about this? If we lived with wisdom, then when we really needed a miracle, we could pray for that. Does that make sense? Isn't that wisdom? So how about this? Could this message be an opportunity? Could this message be the whoop, 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 whoop of a tire out of balance? Could this message, some of you are like, that's what it sounds like every time you pray. Whoop, 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 whoop. <laughs> a cross between the Charlie Brown adult and your voice. Um, let, let's, let's just look at this real quick. Being out of balance in any one of the three areas, mind, spirit, or body, affects the other two. So let, let me expose you to a thought here very quickly that um, perhaps you, you think to yourself, especially as a believer, many times we think in terms of how important things are spiritually, but we could ignore and abuse the physical with maybe the idea that God will, because I'm doing the things that God wants me to do, I can burn it at the other end or ignore it at the other end or abuse it at the other end, and God will bail me out. That's not the way that it works, folks. So that if you get out of balance in any one of the areas that affects the other two, so I put as a, an example, look a little bit below there. It's through the years, I've suffered with a bad back. Some of it, just the abuse that I did when I was younger. Some of it, the jobs that I had. Some of it, uh, sports. Some of it, just not taking care of myself. Putting on, how about the middle-aged spread? Wow, nobody relates to the middle-aged <laughs> spread. As, are you like, if I say yes, it'll happen to me? Or, um, <laughs> unfortunately, it's already happened to you. So, uh, <laughs> so I suffered with a bad back. And in fact, um, I did have a miracle. So if you go to church here long enough, I, I, God healed my back at one point. And then a year and a half past that, I've struggled at times where it's hurt again. And it's done really funny things to my faith. So a physical problem would mess with my faith. Now listen to this. When it would mess with my faith, it would get into my emotions. So a body messed with the spirit ended up affecting the way I felt. Make any sense? All right, so how about this? Let me just throw this out. Um, at times I've struggled with sleep. Maybe it's, uh, I mean, all you can, you can pinpoint it to, to a number of different things, but how about this? Uh, Solomon said, with the increase of goods comes the increase of trouble. 
And anyone in this room, here's the truth of the matter. The more you have in your hand, the more you have to take care of. Do you agree with that statement? It's true with children. It's true with finances. It's true with problems. It's, it's true in any area. The more you get, the more you have to take care of. The more you have to worry about, the more you have to be concerned with, the more you have to be responsible for. So how about this? There are times to where uh, when I don't learn to give things to God like I should, I carry it and lay awake at nighttime trying to think, how am I going to fix this? How am I going to get us through this? Because it doesn't just affect me. It affects so many people. And then as it would affect my sleep, look at this and see if this doesn't make any sense. It would get my sleep, which when you get tired, affects the way you think. Yes? No? Do you agree with that? And then how about this? When you get tired, how do you pray? I bet your prayers are not faith-filled prayers. I bet they're more desperation prayers. I bet they're more prayers based on what the enemy is telling you than what the word is telling you. Anybody? Does it make sense? So one out of balance can affect the other one. If it affects any one out of balance, will affect the other two. Maybe not all on equal levels, but you can't, you can't go like this. As long as I have this one in control, then the other two are going to be okay. You can't think that way. Balance. It's important to be balanced. It's important to strive for that and to look at that and to think in those terms right there. All right, I put down here, this may seem very strange to you, but Tiger Woods is a person who convicted me in an area in my life. Yeah, exactly. I was hoping I'd get somebody like, what? I've been waiting. What is it? <laughs> I knew it. Um, no, it's not what you think. Uh, Fifteen years ago, as a matter of fact, uh, the church was, was, still, uh, it was still very new. Uh, we were actually meeting in a storefront. We just moved into the storefront, and I watched an interview with Tiger Woods. Tiger was one of the first uh, golfers that really, I, I, would you agree with this? Ti Tiger's not just a golfer. He's an athlete. Guys, he, he's very athletic. So they were interviewing Tiger on just his routine, and this was, this was Tiger's deal. He said, I hit the weight room every day. And he talked about his workout routine, and then they asked him, why do you work out like this? And this is what he said. Listen to this. He said, I want to be the best golfer for the next 20 years, and if I don't take care of my body, I'll only be able to do this for a short time. Now, in reality, Tiger needed to be thinking of all three areas, didn't he? Because yeah. yeah. for sure he took care of his body. Like, I'm way over here, and you guys are still coming up the, yeah. <laughs> but I'm bump. I'll be here all week. Um, but listening to Tiger talk, listen, how about this? Listening to him talk that way about golf, which um, I, I wouldn't disparage any person what they do as a living as being uh, unimportant. But let, let me just give you a quick comparison here. I would compare that the ministry has an eternal benefit that golf doesn't have. An eternal value or eternal connection to it. Now listen to this. This was my own conviction. Tiger Woods was more convicted about how he took care of himself so he could do what he did long term than I was convicted about taking care of myself so that I could do something eternal long term. I remember thinking the world sometimes gets things 
that believers don't always pick up. Do you agree with that? Now, now, um, boy, here was my, probably in preparation, the biggest amount of, of really taking this before God and, and praying on this and trying to make clear. Folks, whenever you begin to teach things like this, the enemy, I think, waits for the opportunity to turn this into some kind of a legalism deal. And the death in a message like this would be if it becomes a legalism deal. So if you put a clock on this, if you put the idea of, you know, slave driver on it or, or uh, the law with it, boy, you'll, this will not produce life in you. It'll produce death in you, and it'll have the opposite effect of what it could be. Yeah. So uh, with that in mind, very first message, my, my, my goal whenever we do the first message in any series is trying to be as broad as I can. So I sort of think of it like a basketball hoop. It's as wide as it can be at the top, but as it goes through, it narrows down. So that as the message starts, I want to attract, again, a very eclectic church. Different ages require different areas we pay attention to. Uh, different backgrounds. You, trying to bring everybody together on this. Some of you would be very unconvinced if I said that, hey, God gave you this, and, and look, as long as nothing goes wrong, you don't pay much attention to it, but the day something goes wrong in your physical body, you will begin to understand how precious this was. Yeah. How much it mattered. And how much it matters to be able to fulfill the things that God wants you to do in your life. We pray all the time, God bless me, bless me, bless me, but if you're physically unable to enjoy the blessings of God, what good was it to even pray the prayer? So, so as broad as I want to make this first message and as narrow as we'll get towards the end of it, I, I would say before teaching any idea of a goal or an outcome would be this, that obedience becomes the entire issue of really of anything that we do for God or with God, but it's the crux of this message. It's the foundation. It, it's got to be the very platform that anything we teach on comes from obedience. So I was talking to a couple of pastors even right before the start of the message. One of them said to me, great insight. He said that really uh, obedience in our life comes from the sonship issue. Whether or not we get the relationship between God being our father and us being his son or his daughter. And I said, I agree with that 50%. I said, I think it's a balance of two things. I think obedience comes from getting the relationship that he is our father. He's not a slave driver or a taskmaster. Yeah. He's not standing in heaven with a cosmic baseball bat waiting for you to be disobedient so he can whack you. Yeah. It's my old cliche and we joke about this, but if God really wanted to get you, yeah. he doesn't need to find an excuse to get you. Yeah. We've all done things where he could get us already. Agree? So it's not waiting to get you. So part of it is, yep, obedience comes from the relationship. We love him. We want to be obedient. How about this, though? Obedience also, it's a lordship issue. Part of it's understanding that he is the Lord. Jesus said this, if you love me, keep my, my commands. So part of it is, it's, yes, he is our father. He loves us. That's the relationship we're to relate to him in when Jesus is asked, you know, to describe in one word 
the relationship he gives the word Abba or Father. But in reality, the other issue that guards us and that guides us is the Lordship issue, that we bow our knee to him because he's the Lord. And if he said to do this or not do it, sometimes God doesn't explain why. Any parent in this room knows that truth. Sometimes you just can't explain it to a five-year-old. Just do it. Sometimes you can't explain it to a 35-year-old. Just do it. It's the right thing to do. The outcome will be good for you. So obedience. 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 22. Samuel replied, he's talking to Saul. What is more pleasing to the Lord? Your burnt offerings and sacrifices or your obedience to his voice? Listen. Obedience is better than any sacrifice. And submission is better than offering the fat of rams. You have to understand, when he's saying this in context, this is radical. So we live under today the new covenant, which is all based on our relationship with God and obedience, but this is the Old Testament. And there, what God is trying to point to them is the necessity of blood to make right what was broken, what we did. So everything's based on this sacrificial system that's pointing to the necessity of Christ coming and being sacrificed for us once and for all. So all of this, they've all been taught sacrifice leads to the Day of Atonement. The Day of Atonement, the blood of the sacrifice is sprinkled on the mercy seat and the high priest cries, mercy, 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 and God covers over the sins of Israel on that day. All pointing to the great truth. Jesus is the fulfillment of all these things and that Jesus as our high priest gave his blood once and for all to cover our sin and God didn't cover it over, he took away our sin. But this is in the day before that's true. And everything they've been taught is the sacrifice of blood. It was the blood. Here's what it said in the Old Testament. In the blood you find life. So Saul has been taught that the whole idea of sacrifice and the way that God covers over our sin is through this. And here the prophet gives him a completely, he's giving him New Testament theology. To obey is better than sacrifice. Submission is better than any animal that could be slaughtered. It was a radical thought, but it really was the pointing of what God was doing. So if I threw out to you then, how is anything in balance, mind, spirit, and body, paying attention to things that, are, that God wants us to do or that he doesn't want us to do, things that are out of balance, how do you fix them? It's got to come through the idea, not of a taskmaster, not of the law, it's gotta come through the idea of obedience to God. And the two things being true. He is our father and we love him. We are his children. He loves us. But he is also the Lord and we bow our knee to him. So how you address any of these issues has to be thought of only through obedience. To obey is better than any sacrifice you can give. Obedience is what the issue of mind, spirit, and body has to be built on. All right, let me give you a illustration, a thought, a person from the Old Testament that I think uh, embodied the idea. He and his friends, Daniel. Uh, Pastor Terry 
when we were at our teaching team this week, Terry actually brought this up, and I thought, God, that, that is so true. Daniel is one of the, the characters from the Old Testament. I, I, I would love to have lived during the time to have seen, or at least to be a, you know, back and watching what Daniel did. His exploits were incredible. So here, here was Daniel's story. At 17 years old, uh, he is a, 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 an Israelite, a Hebrew, uh, living in Jerusalem, and uh, Babylon is the world power of the day. Israel was disobedient. They had been warned for years that if they're disobedient, not obedient, that God was going to allow them to, to go into slavery. Disobedience produces slavery. Always remember that. It's true then, and it's true now. Freedom, the, the definition of freedom. is to not have any slavery in your life. Freedom, never confuse license with freedom. License is the ability to do what you want when you want. Many people in America today confuse license with freedom. They take the First Amendment and say, that gives us license. No, the First Amendment was for freedom. Freedom is the absence of bondage. Disobedience produces bondage. Israel was disobedient to God. They worshiped other gods, and God warned them, if you don't stop this, your actions, I'm not going to do this to you, your actions are going to produce this in your life. They didn't listen. Babylon came against. God would supernaturally protect them. When they disobeyed, they pulled themselves out from underneath the supernatural protection of God. God was not removing his protection as much as Israel moved themselves out from underneath his protection. So that when they pulled themselves out from underneath this protection, Babylon came, they besieged Jerusalem, they took it over, they took all the articles from the temple, they carried them back into Babylon, and this is what they did. Rather than kill, here's how an, a nation during that time would expand their kingdom. Uh, they would want to assimilate a nation. They would want to grab the best of the best and turn them into Babylonians. So Nebuchadnezzar put an order out and then he said, I want you to find the smartest uh, the ones who are adept, the ones who can learn, the ones who are quick to understand. I want you to teach them the language and the literature of the Babylonians. I want to put them in school for three years. I want you to assimilate them to become Babylonians. The very first thing that they did to Daniel and to his friends were to change their name because when you change the name, you're assigning a new destiny to something. So they changed the names of, of Daniel and his three friends uh, the three friends, we know them by their Babylonian names, uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. That actually wasn't their names, but that's what they, they were called in Babylon. And I, there's a great message in, in names in Hebrew were little sentences. I don't have time to go there, but what the Babylonians did were to take the same idea and just to put little Babylonian sentences over their names to reassign their destiny. So if you know the book of Daniel, uh, you know this to be true if, if you know, you're having to take it at face value. Just trust me on this. Here was the truth. There was a time Nebuchadnezzar had an ego uh, <laughs> bigger than anything in government we've seen. He makes a 50-foot gold statue of himself and commands that whenever the people hear the music, they've got to fall down three times a day and worship his statue. Well, these men who love God can't do that. 
Nebuchadnezzar gets mad about it. He stokes up a fire. He's going to throw Daniel's friend into the fire. You know the story. They tell him, uh, it doesn't matter what you do. Our God is able to deliver us from your hand, but even if not, we're not going to bow to you. He throws them into the fire. He looks into the fire and he says, hey, didn't we throw three of them in there? And they said, that's right. He goes, then how come I see the fourth person in there and he looks like the son of God? God's promise is never that we don't go through the fire, but it's that if we do, he'll be with us. But they carry off this great exploit. How about Daniel and the lion's den? You remember that one? Again, the king's got this massive ego. No one's allowed to pray to any other God except to him. (laughs) Daniel, three times a day, bows to pray to God, and he does it with his windows open. Here's the thing. He becomes prime minister, but even his position doesn't change who he is on the inside. So three times a day, he bows his knee in prayer in front of everybody. Even when this law is given, Daniel can't disobey God. So he continues to do what he always does. He goes up to his room, windows open, he bows in prayer. The people against him, it was actually a plot to get rid of Daniel. Daniel's punishment for obeying God is that he's put into a den of lions overnight. The king's going to honor the law that he put out, even though he was tricked and mad about it. Daniel goes in the lion's den. God miraculously shuts the mouths of the lions. Man, what a great story. And then even when you look at Daniel's life, he, 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 God used him. How about this? Even in the most corrupt, wicked, satanic government this world has ever known, God still had his man in place to protect his people. So even when we look today, we think to ourselves, ah, around our world, it's just going crazy. God has his people in place. So we look at the life of Daniel like, man, Daniel carried out great exploits, did awesome things. It all comes back to one verse you find in Daniel chapter 1, verse 8. When he's first taken at 17 years old, he's still a young man. He's taken into captivity. He is forced to learn the language, the literature, and the culture of the Babylonians. One of the things he had to do or that they wanted him to do was to begin to eat like the Babylonians. Jews had dietary restrictions. And they didn't listen, not out of the law, but out of loving God. So that when Daniel was taken captive, the first thing they want him to do is to begin eating like a Babylonian, not like a Hebrew. And this is what Daniel does all the way back in Daniel chapter 1, verse 8. But Daniel resolved, say that with me, resolved, not to defile himself with the royal food and wine, and he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself this way. The chief official was like, dude, I'll lose my head if you don't eat this food. If you, if you eat your diet and you look skinny and sick and paltry compared to these other people, I'll lose my head. And Daniel said, well, let's put it to a test. Let me eat my diet for 10 days. They eat their diet for 10 days, put us side by side. And if I don't look better, I'll eat your food. But if I look better, let me do this. Because of his obedience, listen, all the things later in Daniel's life, look at me real quick, folks, listen. Because of Daniel's obedience as a young man, it opened all the opportunities when he got older. Here's what people think. When I get to that place in my life, 
I'll be obedient. When I get to that place, when I have those opportunities, I'll step into the opportunity and I'll seize the day. Carpe diem. No. What you do now is what you'll do then. Let me try over here. Okay? What you do with money now is what you'll do if you've got a lot of it later. It's obedience. It's a principle of obedience. You don't step into the moment and suddenly character changes. It's in decisions now to be obedient. How about this? When I was a youth pastor, I would always be asked the question, always, especially, especially if I did any series on dating, relationships, and sex. I'm always asked, how far is too far? How far is too far? <laughs> Usually, um, asking the question already begins to betray the problem. Here was my answer to that. The time to decide how you will handle that pressure is not once you get in the back seat. <laughs> Thank you. Everybody else is like, I don't even know what sex is. <laughs> Can't believe you're talking about it. And <laughs> you don't handle it once you, the decision has to be made way before that. Do you agree with that? Yes or no? See, it, here's what you think I'll be strong in that moment. No, you won't. No one's strong in that moment. The decision's made far, far before that ever happens. All right, so, all right. You hear messages like this, where, where's the devil come in? You made bad decisions. Obedience starts now. It's never too late to be obedient. It's never too late to tell God yes. It's never too late to bow your knee. Um, right below that, under the clothes, I, I put obedience has been a guard around my life. Now, I put in parentheses the last four months, but let me, since I've been a believer, obedience has guarded my life. I can think, I, I can think of it this way. The times where I've been disobedient has been so costly to me. Not because God punished me, but because I chose to go my own way. And I got what I chose. God is merciful in that times he, he stepped in between. How about this? The times that I've listened to him have paid off in ways that I, if I'd have sat down ahead of time and tried to write out how God would bless me, your mind is not even creative enough to think in terms of, the Bible says, eye is not seen, ear is not heard, neither is it entered into the mind of man what God has prepared for those who love him. When we listen to him, when we do what he wants us to do, when we're obedient, the blessing in our lives is far more than I could ever even begin to tell you. Yes. Yep. So I, I, just, just quickly in my life, starting this church required a great deal of obedience. So I wasn't kicked out of the place that I was and I didn't get in trouble, which is how so many churches start. A, pa 
pastor gets too big for his britches or he messes up and he's got to go start a church because that's all he knows how to do. That wasn't my situation. I was very happy. I love my pastor. He's still my pastor. He wanted me to pastor there. Take over for him when you retire. God came to me in a dream and told me to start this church. If you don't believe God speaks that way, look around. Look around at what God has done. I was obedient. The obedience, how about this? There's times of obedience in your life when you're the only one who knows. That's when obedience is tested. God, if it takes, if it takes everybody around you to tell you, oh, that's God, you'll never be obedient. Obedience has to be something in your heart between you and God. I, I, I think back to the time when we're trying to build a building, this building. We did not have near the money that it took to build this building. And, and there's a missionary, David Blanchard, who has a great ministry in Mexico. He needed, we, we had $100,000. And the building was, uh, I think we needed $3 million. How many of you know there's a big difference between 100000 and $3 million? <laughs> I, And I remember looking at that and thinking to myself, God, how in the world are we going to do this? I can't. How are we going to do this? And I remember praying about it, and I got a letter in the mail, and my friend, David Blanchard, a missionary, he was finishing a training school for Mexican nationals that were going to go back into the country and help pastor the country. And we wanted to build a training center. And I remember the Lord tell, give him, he needed $10,000 to fit. And the Lord said, give him $10,000. And I was like, God, we need to go from 100000 to 3 million, not 100 back to 90. <laughs> so this really is not, we're going the wrong way, God. And I remember standing up and telling our church, I believe we're supposed to sow our building money into this ministry. And people looked at me like, yeah, are you kidding? And we did it. I cannot tell you all the different ways God began then to bless our finances. I, there was a time, do you mind me just talking about this real quick? I'm not taking up an offering, so there's no, I'm not. <laughs> so I remember um, it, it, within weeks of doing that, this, um, this thing of generosity took over in our church. People started bringing us every, rings. Yep. You remember back in those days? They were bringing us jewelry, uh, cars. There were, it was the craziest thing in the world that happened. I could have never in a million years. Property, stocks, stuff started happening that was just like, could have never thought how God was going to do those things. So what is things... All right, so that now I have to sit at times. Almost every person we've ever hired in this church, I didn't have the money to hire the person. But I had to look at a board and tell them, God has put this in my heart to do this. And you build a track record where here's what God's done just by being obedient. It builds a credibility that when you stand up as pastor, I'm enjoying some of the best days in my ministry just by being obedient to God right now. Yeah. It's given a group of people great trust in their pastor. So I got this land thing. That, no, um, I'm, I'm just teasing. All right, listen. Listen. So I put the last four months. We go through the 
probably the, the greatest time we ever had to navigate um, financially. Hearing from God was so crucial. Having to every day, okay, God, what are we supposed to do? How are we supposed to do it? And then being willing to walk into that and say, this is what God is saying. We have to be obedient. It was painful in many ways. But have to be obedient. Other side of it. God, God's blessing. It always pays to be obedient to Christ. And it always costs you to not be obedient. Always. Okay, at the bottom of your page, there's two fill in the blanks there. Because of Jesus, I can. And then right next to that, I will. If I were to ask you, what area of obedience was God talking to you about? Your finances, your marriage, your health? Spiritual life? Your relationships, your children? Many times when life stagnates, we begin looking at what's happened in the last two weeks. Let me throw a suggestion out to you. When we become disobedient, we can go for a while and things just begin to dwindle and start drying up. And then we look, what happened in the immediate? Go back to the point of disobedience and correct it by being obedient. Some relationships are not going to get fixed without you being obedient. Money situations don't change without obedience. Marriages don't magically get better without obedience. Health comes with obedience. Do you believe that? If I was filling in the blanks right now in front of you, <laughs> because of Jesus, I can be self-disciplined. Not self-controlled. You know, a fruit of the Spirit is self-discipline. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, mercy, gentleness, and self-control. People think oftentimes, I said it backwards, they think oftentimes I'll be self-disciplined. Fruit of the Spirit is self-control. It's not your willpower. It's the Lord willing to do things in you, with you. You bowing your knee to Him. Because of Jesus, I can be self-controlled. I will. <laughs> I'm almost hesitant to say it. I, I get to be the great experiment in front of everybody. My lot in life. All of you can fill this out, put it in your pocket, nobody else will ever see it. I get to have 4,000 people examine me see if I mean what I say. (laughs) 
I will be healthy in my body in 2014. I don't work out at all. I'm ashamed to say that. But I come home tired. And I get up. I never wake up in a day and go, what am I going to do today? My days are mapped out for me over and over and over again. And so I chalk up my abusing my body to I'm doing the work of the Lord and he'll extend my life. It's not the way that it works. I have a responsibility. If I want to do this a long time from now, hey, listen to me. I have to pay attention right now to what I do. How I eat things. Do you agree with that statement? How I sleep. What I allow. I need to get healthy. I need to quit praying for miracles physically. Not that I don't believe in them and not that I don't believe that God does those things, but I shouldn't leave my life every other week needing a miracle. I need to use wisdom. That's embarrassing for me to say. What would you fill in the blank with? So the areas that I'm strong, like my marriage is in a great place. My spiritual life, man, I'm in a great place. But my physical life is out of balance right now and it affects the other two. My poor wife is worried about me. Do you get it? It affects the other areas. All right. I thought to myself, this message will be 15 minutes and we'll give people plenty of time and here I am out of time again. Our worship pastors come right now. All of our campuses. The first song, fill in the blank. If you've got a pen, get it out. Pencil, whatever, get it out. Right in there. Take the time. I didn't put that in there just to take up space or to take up room. We very much crafted the end of the message to be what if we took the time to be obedient to God? What if we asked him, what do you want me to be obedient in? And then did something with it. If you sit there like, I, I just don't know that, you know, I need to do anything. Examine your life real quick. Don't chalk. If you're, hey, if you walk out like, I'm, I'm obedient in every area of my life. God bless you. <laughs> but if there's anything there, do business with God right now. What an opportunity. What an opportunity for things to change. Maybe that's been the very prayer. God, I want this to change. How about God saying, okay, be obedient. So what, would, what would you write? What would you put there? So maybe you're sitting next to someone and you feel like, I can't fill this in right now. Okay, do it mentally. But what would you write? What would you do? So first song, let's just do that. Uh, worship pastors will direct when we get to the second song what to do and where to release to. But for this first one, just fill that out for me. Think about it, pray about it right now, and ask God, because of Christ, I can and I will and do business with God.